Hello and welcome to episode 88 of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Stuart Butler. And Melissa's going to be excited today because this is double her lucky number. It's eight and eight. It is. Melissa Kavanaugh's with us. Hey, Hello. Melissa. Happy double eight day. And it's also GDPR Friday. Which is extra exciting. Y2K2. Yes. Yeah. Armageddon. Exactly. And I've also got with me Jeremy Razook. I'm back. I was allowed back in. And then I also have a special guest with us. We don't do this very often. We've had a couple of folks on uh, the show before, but you know, this I've had a couple of interesting interesting conversations with these guys and i figured it'd be better to get them on the show rather than me trying to translate all the things they do but we're not the experts on revenue management here at fuel we we know marketing inside and out we work closely with a lot of revenue managers but we figured we'd find the best in the industry at revenue management so we went out there and looked and scoured high and low and we found those fine folks over at duetto and i have marco from duetto on the on the line how are you today marco I am great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. I was going to say your last name, but they do not know how to pronounce it. So, it's uh, it's Benvenuti. Benvenuti. So, Marco, you're from Italy originally, right? Correct. And how how long have you been in the states? I moved to the United States in uh, 1999, and uh, I never left. Okay. Yeah. So you you got a couple of years on me. I moved from from the UK in uh, 2001. So. I, I remember the days, and you probably do too, when uh, Italia 90, the World Cup, do you remember that? Best World yeah. best World Cup ever. England were robbed, but it, other than that, it was a great World Cup. Somebody always gets robbed in a World Cup. This is true. This is true. And sometimes they get murdered when they go home if they're from Colombia as well. <laughs> yeah, is that too soon? I don't know. The Escobar thing. <laughs> I'm looking at the Americans in the room. They don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> or if also if they are too young, they might know what we're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. So Marco, you you were one of the co-founders of Duetto, is that right? Correct. Yes. It's myself, uh, Craig Weissman, and Patrick Boxer. Gotcha. And I had a conversation with Patrick recently about you know you guys being on the show, and he said you'd be way more entertaining than than he was. So I'm glad I got you. I'll do my best. <laughs> so tell me what what was the inspiration behind Duetto? Why did you guys start it? Um, as I always say, Duetto comes from a place of pain, not from a place of happiness. Um, <laughs> I, I've been um, working in the field of uh, pricing, revenue management, which I don't like to call revenue management, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Yeah. Um, distribution, marketing for my, for my entire career. Um, and uh, I've always uh, felt a high degree of pain into using the solutions and systems that were available to the industry. And uh, I always ended up building my fancy and good-looking Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. But I always knew that um, Excel is not a sustainable tool for, for scaling and for moving to the next level. And so that's where the idea of Duesto came together because I said there's got to be something better than Excel that can be done. Um, and so that's where this adventure started from uh, trying to revolt and rebel against itself. That's necessity is the mother of invention, as they say. That's neat. Well, cool. Well, I, I don't know if you usually listen to the show, Marco, but we typically kick off with a couple of news items. So we're going to jump right into the newsies and then you know, feel free to jump in and give us your opinion on these. So, Melissa, you have some newsies for us? We've got some newsies today. 
We have one from T News that is literally entitled, Wait, did TripAdvisor really influence 10% of global tourism spending in 2017? That is the title. That's about as clickbaity as it gets, right? It is, so it, obviously. You put the word wait dot 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 in there. It's like, yeah. Yeah, got to click on it, and it worked. And I read the article, and it's, it's interesting, and I'm curious to see what everybody else's opinion on this is. But uh, TripAdvisor commissioned a research firm called Oxford Economics to not, do... Not to be confused with Cambridge Analytica. Yes, not the same company. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did a study, and lo and behold, the data that came back says that TripAdvisor's reviews and scores influenced about $546 billion of travel spending in 2017, which is about 10% of global spending in tourism which reached a total of $5.3 trillion last year. I, I don't know what to make of that, heads or tails, but here's what really threw me for a loop. The report estimates that consumers spent an, eight, an additional $80 billion globally on 32 million extra trips that would not have happened without TripAdvisor. I'd love to know how they came to that conclusion. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack in this this article, right? And, and I think that obviously clickbaity title aside there's some interesting information and and i think no question we would all agree that their TripAdvisor has an influence on travel absolutely right? not necessarily whether you're going to travel we could debate that but certainly where you end up staying absolutely you know we know that over 90 percent of people are not going to stay somewhere without looking at a review at least the data we have suggests that so it has an influence but i feel like they're you know, this is a study commissioned by who again? Uh, commissioned by TripAdvisor. Okay, to say that TripAdvisor is awesome. Yes. Okay. And and that's what the study found. Yeah. Mm. That's the problem with so many studies in this in, in industry. You know, it's they're self-serving and and very agendaed and very biased. Certainly, they have an influence, but to to claim that they have that kind of an influence that on on people actually making a decision to travel that that one I find a little hard to believe. I that's my sticking point. Yeah. Marco, you have anything to say about that? Uh, well, so when I was at Cornell, um, I was Professor Sherry Kine's graduate assistant. And the first book that she had me read was uh, How to Lie with Statistics. <laughs> to uh, debunk all these type of studies. Yeah. Um, I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, TripAdvisor has, has, of course, a lot of influence on where people go, but... You know, if I have to take a swag, I would say that probably Facebook and Instagram have more of a influence on making you want to travel than probably TripAdvisor. Yeah, the inspiration, I would agree 100%. Yeah. Your peers, the people that you know and see and, and admire and, and, you know, are jealous of, those are the folks that are going to inspire you. I don't think going to TripAdvisor, I mean, who, who does that? Who says, I don't know where I'm going to go. I'm going to go to TripAdvisor and figure out what destination. No one does that. Instead, um, everybody's, I mean, we're on, on our phone all day on either Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat. Yeah. And there is an envy factor that you see somebody that you like or you don't like yeah. or you respect or whatnot that um, is posting a picture from a beautiful beach somewhere or a ski trip or you name it. And mm-hmm. you have that desire to be like, why can't I do that too? And 
you start looking for, for a place to go. So yeah. I would say that probably that's the more powerful um, inspiration tool for travel than TripAdvisor. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so I don't think any of us are saying TripAdvisor is not valuable, but I just feel like they're overselling themselves. And I kind of agree with your, your professor from Cornell. I, I, I was once told that 652% of all statistics are made up. So. <laughs> um, all right, so do I we have any... I probably read that book. Yeah, do we have any more newsies? We do. Um, Focus Wire recently put out an article. I'm going to, oh, full disclaimer, I, this one burns my buttons. I'm going to get on my plinth and this, my goat has been gotten, my burns <laughs> buttons have been burned and I'm ready to go on this one. This room is steaming. Yeah. Right um, Focus Wire put out this article titled How Organic Search is Becoming Ineffected, Ineffective for hotels on Google. So basically looking at how OTAs are really taking over that that search and result page over just Yeah, so, so if you just take, take the title, right? Don't read the article. They're essentially saying give up on, on search engine optimization is, is essentially what they're saying. Basically. Don't, don't bother. Just throw in the towel. OTAs have it. Don't even worry about it. RIP SEO again. Yeah, so yeah, it died again. Oh no, again. we killed Kenny again. <laughs> Right, but read the article and the methodology and how they come to that conclusion. This this burns my buttons about the clickbaity title again. You know they're trying to be sensational, but then if you read the methodology, it's it's an IT guy in Tenerife who's frustrated because his DMO's website is not ranking for the keyword Tenerife hotels. So they went and looked at like really broad terms like Italy hotels. You know, so they're looking at the country level. They're looking at maybe even city level, like London hotels, and saying, "Oh, ten of the top ten listings are OTAs." Well, no shit, Sherlock. You know, this, those are the utility sites that are going to help the people that are looking for something that broad. But Melissa, I mean, I don't think we've got a hotel website that doesn't rely at least thirty percent of its traffic coming in from organic search. Exactly. Still. So to say that organic search is ineffective. It's, it's just, ridiculous. It's, it's, I mean, it's just wrong. It's downright wrong. And for Focus Wire to publish this, a very prestigious, um, you know, platform that people pay attention to, to put this out, which is complete misinformation. It's going to affect people's budgets. It's going to affect people's jobs. It's going to affect people's strategies. And I just, I just, ah. Can you tell it's, it bothers me? It's really frustrating because clearly, like you said, they're talking about very generic search terms. And I would agree that most individual properties don't belong on that search Nor page. should they want to. No, they right. don't deserve exactly. it. But they, there's no need to. The consumer that's typing in Italy hotels... Has is, no idea where they want to They're stay. looking for something that gives them rate comparisons, lets them filter properties based on amenities, looks at geographic location of properties. They need things that an individual property website does not have and therefore doesn't deserve to, to rank for those kind of keywords. So I just, you don't want to play in that playing field, but guess what? When someone's figured out they want to go to Cinque Terre in Italy as opposed to go into Florence, and then that they figure out that they want to stay at a specific type of property like a bed and breakfast, that's when you start playing in the SEO game. You create great content that's going to be valuable to people further down the funnel that's completely relevant to your specific niche. Search engine optimization is not dead and will not be dead for a long time. Has it changed? Does it influence all parts of your business? Absolutely. But it's stop. people need to stop saying it's dead. It's driving me nuts. 
There you have it. Marco, you were very heated about I, that. I was just on the this week in hospitality digital marketing earlier today, and I they they brought this article up as well, and I got just as heated. And so if you want to see my face physically turn red, you know this is an audio podcast, but it, that was a video cast, so it's on Facebook and and YouTube. You can see me actually getting red with anger towards the end of the show. Marco, do you do you guys dabble in SEO at all? Do you? I mean, I'm I'm certain it's it's a factor for your business, but do you consult with any of your clients on how to tackle the, this changing landscape in search engines? Yeah, I mean, our conversation has to be very broad with our clients because it's so interconnected and definitely SEO is uh, it's a big part and by the way, I agree with you. I don't think it's that. Actually, I would wish that uh, a lot of hotel companies, especially the smaller ones, would have um, abilities to do a better job at it because again, um, the OTAs just like to take advantage in some cases just because there is no expertise on the hotel side. Um, but, you know, any well-run uh, company with a decent booking engine, like, you know, they, they know what to do on SEO. And as you say, 20 30% of the traffic comes from organic. Um, and so that's definitely a, a part of the business that you have to absolutely keep investing in. And you cannot let the foot off the gas. Or otherwise, you're giving even more ground to the, to the OTAs. Yeah, agree one hundred percent. Okay, so for this we mentioned at the top of the show that this is a GDPR Friday. Right, we're actually recording this on May twenty fifth, which some some would say is GDPR Friday. I would say it's the day after Star Wars, uh, a Star Solo, a Star Wars story came out because that's more important to me than GDPR. But are you guys at Duetto? Are you hearing a lot of? Um, questions or panic from from your clients related to gdpr like we've experienced at fuel we a lot of people have their head in the sand they're kind of ignoring it they're not really too concerned about it um but now they're beginning to say oh shit it's already happened it's today and we haven't really done a whole lot so talk to me a little bit about what the kind of conversations you've been having are related to gdpr yeah so first of all i completely agree with you about star wars in fact I can't wait to drive back to Vegas tonight and go watch it. So that's, <laughs> that's more funny. important. But um, on GDPR, yeah, so we've been having conversation with our clients for quite a while. Um, of course, for example, we, we do things like sending out newsletters to our users and to our prospects. And we basically had to have them opt in again with a new terms and conditions to be GDPR compliant on that. Any company had to go through that if you have any communication with, uh, with anybody in your database. So we took care of that. Um, as far as the application itself, um, of course, we started receiving questions, um, you know, months ago. Um, we are in a good position because we don't store any personal information in our application. Yeah. Um, we don't deal with any PII, like none of that data becomes part of our, of our application in our database, and we rely on, um, other um, software providers to take care of that and then send us only the relevant information that we need to make our decision. So we were not really highly affected from, um, from GDPR. I mean, for us, it was, uh, was pretty much business as usual because the DNA of Duetto since the beginning has been not to deal with, um, with uh, sensitive information um, about the data coming in from a property management system or from a CRS or from a CRM. So we let the property management system handle what they handle best. We let the CRM handle what they handle best. We let the CRS handle what they handle best. And 
we do the analytics and the final decision, and that doesn't require uh, names and addresses and credit card numbers and all the stuff that is really key into uh, GDPR. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so let, let's shift gears a little bit. I wanted to, you know, you're the revenue management experts, among other things. You guys are doing a lot. You got a, a big chunk of investment um, earlier in the year or last year and, you know, doing a lot of cool, innovative stuff. I know we'll, we'll get into that later. But just on the very basic level, you know, if someone's in the revenue management space, what what's some just simple advice that you give to people that are either starting out or have been doing it for a while, but maybe are looking to take it up to the next level? So for the first thing, I would tell them not to call it revenue management anymore. <laughs> I think the term revenue management is a term of the past that actually also has some slightly negative connotation because revenue management has always been relegated as a silo, as an afterthought where um, you have the cool people in marketing and the cool people in distribution and the cool people in sales, and then you have the nerd in revenue management kind of doing God knows what, figuring out the rates for the hotel and, um, and then push it down to the reservation department. Um, I, I, um, I've been calling it for a long time, actually, even before I started doing so, I've been calling it revenue strategy because really this is a discipline that is fairly new to the hotel space. Like when I... When I was at UNLV and Cornell, so this was the late 90s, early 2000s, this discipline was really starting to take effect into, into this industry, and there was a lot of confusion around it, and we didn't know if this industry would really embrace variable pricing and all this good stuff about um, doing pricing by channel and integrated with marketing, which the industry did. And so the technology has also helped um, this discipline go more to the forefront because revenue strategy really becomes a key into the e-commerce strategy that a, that a hotel needs to have. And so I actually i am very involved with both UNLV and Cornell. Actually at Cornell, I am um, an entrepreneurial resident. And um, I speak a lot to the students about this new career field because there is just not enough uh, talent in the industry to fill positions. So if you look at, whether you look at brands, whether you look at independent hotels, small brands, um, there is always this need for a revenue strategist and the skill set is just not out there readily available in the industry. And so if you really become this person that has operational experience, analytical background, of course, well-educated in school, is able to speak, is able to negotiate, is able to present um, analytical thoughts, and also sometimes is able to lie with statistics, as we, we discussed before, um, you're going to be an incredible uh, market, you know, marketable asset for, um, for the industry and for yourself. And in fact, especially to the international students that are looking for visa, I really, which, which was my case when I started, I really encourage them to get into this field because, um, as we say, geeks who can speak, are very hard to find in the, <laughs> in the hotel space, and they're, and, they're, and they're very valuable. That's, by the way, another quote from my uh, Cornell professor, Sherry Khan. <laughs> That's funny. Um, and, like um, and so yeah. if, if you can have an amazing career and make a lot of money and pretty much, um, you know, make, make your own ticket by, uh, by uh, becoming a, an expert in revenue strategy. Gotcha. So, so why do you think that there's still this big divide between revenue, the revenue team and the marketing team? Why does it still exist in 2018? 
Um, I think it's somewhat historical and cultural in the in the industry. Um, I think that this comes down to the industry really not understanding what marketing is compared to other industries. In the hotel space, we com- we, we somewhat uh, think that marketing is all about service, which it's a component of it, but it is a component, not everything. It's about making things pretty. It's about the collateral that you send to the customer. It's about the flowers that you see in the room. It's about the physical aspects of the property. But um, the, the industry has always been lacking the side of more data-driven analytical marketing, which is the key, especially in, uh, in e-commerce. And so this uh, misconception of marketing has created a cultural silo in the industry where you have a sales department, a distribution department, a marketing department, and then a revenue management department. And everybody kind of operates in silo, and it's very hard to bring them all together. And so that, I think, has been the problem. And that's culturally what we've been trying to change from the beginning. And I tried to change even before Dueto in my, in my career, um, especially when I was at Win, to bring all this discipline together and create the strategy department that touches everything from the pricing to the experience to the e-commerce to the social media to the database mining. So all the different touch points of uh, marketing as, a, as an MBA school definition of marketing should be are all uh, encompassed into this uh, strategy field that I'm talking about. Yeah, and I, I'm seeing, especially the bigger management groups, that we, and we, we primarily work with independent properties, right? But the, the larger groups that maybe have 10 properties, uh, we're beginning to see them structurally make some some significant changes in, in either bringing the revenue team into the marketing team or the marketing team into the revenue team. But I haven't seen like a consistency there. Like some folks are putting revenue managers underneath the director of sales and marketing and, and others are doing it the opposite way. So do you, in your mind, you know, if you had to kind of org chart out the perfect team, what do they look like and who, who ultimately is accountable for all of these different disciplines? Right. So in, in my perfect orchard, you need to get a, a chief strategy officer or a VP of strategy or whatever you want to call it. But basically, this person has to be very unique in their skill set because they need to know the traditional revenue management side of the house, the pricing side of the house. They need to know the distribution. They need to know the sales side of the house, and they need to know the marketing side of the house, both the pretty stuff and you know the, the more creative stuff, but the PR stuff, but also the um, analytics, heavy e-commerce, data-driven marketing stuff. And these people are just very hard to find, you know, which is why I'm saying that getting into this career is a great idea. Yeah. But if you do find that person, then that person has to become the one that rises up and then has all these other departments funneling to that person and that person needs to report directly to the top. Yeah, so yeah. either the CEO or however the company structure and also in case they have a board, that person probably needs to also have board exposure in, in, some, um, in some cases depending on the, size, uh, on the size of the company. So it's not about should revenue management reporting to marketing or vice versa. It, you kind of have to erase the old ways of thinking about department and really finding the strategies that you can put on top of, um, of all the different functions that we talked about. Yeah, it always begins with strategy, for sure. And, and you know, before Fuel, um, you know, we're an agency that focuses just on the hospitality space, but we, we've only been 
in that vertical exclusively since 2015. You know, prior to that, we, we were servicing a lot of other industries, one of which was uh, retail, online retail. We had a lot of retail clients. And I, it, they don't have the same issue. They, they understand the retail industry is understood, understood, for, understood for a list when it comes to marketing. And yet, you know, here we are in 2018 and, and the hotel industry, although I feel like more and more people are saying the right things, there's still behaviorally, we haven't changed. So why, why do you think the hospitality industry is so far behind other industries? As I said before, I think they misunderstood the meaning and the definition of marketing a um, long time ago, because this is an industry that comes from service. And in the end, service is extremely important because you can do the best marketing you can, and then you go to a property and have a bad experience, and that's going to cost you a lot of money in the future. Um, but that's where the people from the industry came. I mean, if you look at where the CMOs or the head of revenue management or the head of operations, those are all people that come from the service side of the house. Um, which again, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but when you have pretty much the greater majority of the people coming from the service side of the house, you're not going to have influences from other industries that maybe might be a little bit ahead on the marketing side, for example, retail. And so I think it's been a cultural problem that now the industry is tackling and it's starting to change, but this industry also doesn't move um, exceptionally fast. Yeah, <laughs> that's an understatement. And, you know, some of the, the properties and groups that I've observed do it really well, I think that they have a couple of characteristics in common, one of which is they they tend to unify the team behind a, a centralized score sheet of some kind, like the KPIs that all the team members, regardless of their role, are measured by it is the same. You know, they're all looking at whether that's, you know, rev power, whatever it is, they're all held accountable for the same KPIs. I think that's important. But then I'm beginning to see a bigger trend too, where folks are, to your point, because the industry is so insulated and done it the same way for so long, but other industries haven't, I've seen folks going outside of the hospitality industry to bring people in from other areas because they do offer something a little different and are hopefully beginning to impact the, you know, create some change within these organizations. Yeah, and um, as we said before, you know, those changes take take a long time, but also there is a little bit of cultural resistance because in many companies still today in the in the hotel industry, even some um, some very known brands, the the culture is you start from the bottom, and whether you wash dishes or you clean rooms or you are a greeter at the door, which that's how I started, and you move your way up. And I'm not saying that that's a bad way of, of doing it, but it cannot be the only way because if you only breed executives through that path, you're only going to get one type of executives that are good at one thing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, I mean, are you optimistic that this, these challenges are getting fixed? Do you, do you feel like the industry is going in the right direction? Uh, I do. I mean, look... Um, you know, now I'm going to sound a little bit cocky maybe, but <laughs> I think that imitation is the, is the best form of flattery. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I started Dueto, we started um, using this term of revenue strategy. And uh, all our, you know, competitors or other uh, technologies and software in our same general sphere were all using revenue management. 
And now if you look at their marketing material, they all use revenue strategy like they invented it. Yeah. And so, A, that's, you know, I'm very happy about that because it means that, you know, we got it right. But also it kind of shows that there is more now of a cultural movement and, and it's more embraced throughout the industry that something needed to change. And whether people are just talking about it or doing it, at least they're moving into, into the right direction. So I think that there's hope um, for, um, for a big change. My, my hope is that this, this change uh, happens really fast and usually this industry <laughs> has, has Yeah, I wouldn't hold your breath in this industry. <laughs> Nothing happens fast, unfortunately. It takes, takes a while for things to sink in. I, I think um, a good, good friend of mine, Robert Cole, always talks about when, when innovation happens, and I'm probably going to butcher what he says, but you, you'll get the point. When innovation is happening in, in society in general, then the hotel industry has a four-step process. First is is ignoring it. Se- second is ignoring it again. Third is denial, and then fourth is panic and trying to adopt whatever that change is. So, I, I think we're probably in the first or second phase of that four four phases right now. So, hopefully, the panic will set in soon and people will start actually making real changes. But it sounds like Duetto are definitely fighting the good I fight. Say, I would say there are some people that are panicking already. So we are, we're, we're between the second and the third. Okay, there you go. That's, that's good. I guess that's good to know that people are panicking. I guess that means change is coming. Um, so you, you guys obviously are, are champions of this, you know, this revenue strategy movement. And, and not just the terms, changing it from management to strategy, but what that actually means and, and what, what is a strategy, things like that. At Fuel, you know, one of the things we're champions of, and I feel like we're, we're, with the podcast and with our clients, we're making somewhat of a dent, is, is reducing reliance on OTAs. You know, we, we love OTAs. I think they have a place. I definitely don't want to vilify them in any way. But, but we believe the OTAs um, should, should be used appropriately to, to generate new business that you wouldn't have gotten other, way, other ways to generate the business of people that are loyal to the OTAs and are never going to want to book direct. But too many people are using it like a drug. You know, they're, they're doing a poor job of revenue strategy. They're, they're not yielding the right way. They're not... Um, promoting the right way and they end up with these soft spots that they end up dumping inventory onto the OTAs and and we we try to obviously convince people that's one a bad idea but then show them uh, strategies that are going to have a positive impact on them and and we've been successful we've got a lot of clients now that are hovering around the 10% range in terms of they're reliant on OTAs for only 10% of their business and uh you know so it's definitely working but you guys at Duetto also have kind of weighed in on this this uh, this uh, part of the industry too. You put out a white paper recently about you know taking back business from the OTA. So do you want to you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So um, that has been the goal um, of Dueto from the beginning um, was to basically help the hotel making more money. Um, but in order to make more money. One of the things that you have to do, you need to be a little bit smarter how you engage with the OTA. Now, full disclosure, I used to work at Expedia. You know, in my past, I had my, uh, um, you know, my uh, my service given to the OTA side. So I don't want to make an argument that they're evil and they're <laughs> good. We won't hold it against you, Marco. But um, I firmly believe that hotels have basically handed an incredible amount of business to the OTAs. Just because, as you said before, the first step, they ignore things and they ignore things when there is change and then they panic. And that's exactly what happened with the OTA. Right. So 
hotels have actually handed a very big business to, to the OTAs, but also the reason why that happened is because the technology ecosystem on the hotel supplier side was just not up to par to bring the modern e-commerce that, for example, you see in retail into the hospitality space. Yep. For example, without naming names, um, <laughs> when I go to San Francisco, I stay always in a hotel that is part of a major brand. I'm part of the loyalty program. I am on the top tier. I always book the same room, which is a junior corner suite. I log in on my mobile app or the website every time I, um, I go. And guess what is the first thing that they show me when I look for the room? They show me their standard room. Mm-hmm. And my point is, why? If I was on a retail site and, I, and they know my information and I always buy a certain type of shirt, A, they would, they would surface that shirt right away. They would know my size. It would be a much better experience. So why don't we do it? It's because the technology there doesn't allow them to do it because they might have a pretty front end of a UI booking engine, but the technology behind is 20, 30 years old. Right. And so this is really what gave the OTA the opportunity of doing what they want to do. And so um, you mentioned that we raised uh, $80 million in, in January from Werber Pincus. And the reason why we went out with such a big uh, raise is because we are um, entering more and more in the world of e-commerce, even at Duetto, because we realized that just focusing on the rate was great, but it was not going to be enough to move the needle of the hotels because there is a fight going on with the OTA. And so we now build this revenue strategy platform, which is agnostic by nature. It's very open. The APIs are fully open and published, so we can work with different types of um, other technologies with the goal of bringing modern e-commerce to the hotel space and finally giving hotels a fighting chance with real modern tools to fight for their customers to book direct. Right. And um, the white paper that you read actually came from a session that I did at our user conference in Las Vegas for Duetto X. And I had a very cool panel that um, I didn't think if I was going to be able to pull it together, but on the panel I had... Myself, I had somebody from Salesforce, I had somebody from Sabre, and I had somebody from Facebook. And together we talked about how our integration that Duetto has with all these partners, including Facebook, can actually create a new customer journey from the moment that somebody's inspired to look for a trip, as we talked about before on social, to the moment that they engage with an ad, they go to the website, they book, they stay and they return completely bypassing the OTA. And so I'm firmly convinced that the hotel needs to start looking at new avenues to bypass any way they can the OTA. And for example, the social platforms, I think are going to be a winner for the, for the near future. Yeah. Yeah. That's neat. So what, what were some of the big takeaways from the white paper? We're going to put a link in the show notes and uh, encourage folks to download it, but can you give us a little tease and some of the, the big takeaways about how people can take bookings back from the OTAs? Yeah. It's all about um, personalization. And by personalization, I don't mean by just putting a chocolate on the pillow or giving <laughs> a bottle of wine when you arrive because they know that you like wine. But it's about making the booking process as personalized as possible with that person. Where you have 
personalized merchandise and personalized pricing. There are ways nowadays that if you personalize for a user, even an unknown user, you can basically break parity with the OTA. And so I firmly believe that if at the moment of booking, a customer is trained to know that by being on your site, not only they get the best price and they don't need to start looking in 300 different places, but also they get something that is relevant to them, which means that it makes the booking path uh, fast and efficient, kind of like the example that I gave you before of the big brand where that doesn't happen. Um, if I were going in, for example, to this hotel and um, they would basically give me the corner suite, junior corner suite room right away as soon as they click on my mobile app and it would be one click, one click and I can book, that would help a lot already into fighting me even thinking about looking anywhere else for another hotel or even having to go to the OTA. So I firmly believe that the key to success here is to create a personalized booking pass for, um, for the people booking direct. Yeah, I, which POTAs cannot cannot do right because they don't have all the information that the hotel can have. Yeah, the, the hotel has a big advantage because they do host the guest and they have all the data on the guest, which OTA is going to be somewhat limited. And I, I agree, but it, you know, I agree with you 100% in principle, and that's the direction we push our clients. Our guest desk booking technology does what you're talking about, but then we come across good properties, high-end properties that spend a lot of money on the experience itself. And then we pull yep. up their website, and they oh, their their booking engine isn't even terrible. mobile friendly, you know. So <laughs> it goes back to this industry does not move fast at all, and and there's people not focused on the right thing. So we've all got to kind of rally together to convince people that that investing in good technology, consumer facing technology, is critically important to reduce reliance on OTAs. Um, exactly, and that sometimes is a problem with vendors in this industry where they haven't been able to innovate for a lot of different reasons, which is why, mm. again, we are investing a lot of money and effort into building this platform that is open for everybody and then building apps. And, um, you know, the way that I talk to our partners, I always go to them and say, hey, here you have this great opportunity, work with us, improve your product, but if you don't improve it, then either somebody else will end up building it or you force me to build it, to raise even more money and end up building it. But <laughs> yeah. somebody has to fix this problem. Yeah. Like if your booking engine is not mobile, that's a basic e-commerce problem that needs to be solved and can be solved yeah. because it's been solved in 200, 200 different industries. Yeah, I agree 100%. Do you feel like, I, you know, I've talked to a lot of vendors in, in the space and to me, there's there's a kind of a line in the sand being drawn and and I feel like there's a lot of newer um, the, the, the philosophy of half of the vendors are like you guys and like fuel which is we want to be open we want to integrate with as many people as we can we want you know best in breed products for for our clients uh, we'll create them if we need to but we you know if they exist let's go partner with those guys and promote each other and it's just this harmonious kind of sense of we want to improve the industry so that's one side which i think you guys and, and us are on but then there's this this rear guard the old school that that is so entrenched and has the majority of installations and they are completely the opposite to that they they do everything they can to prevent integration. They are really slow to innovate. Any kind of feature requests that you want are going to take 12 months minimum to, to get onto their roadmap. So how do we go from those guys controlling as much as they do, you know, to, to getting some of these new 
technologies that, that are better functioning, probably more economical. How do we get those guys more penetration than the old guys? Well, so believe it or not, I don't blame the old guys that um, are moving slow and don't want to integrate and they charge for everything. Because I've seen it on, on myself in, in, in starting Duetto and then bringing Duetto to what it is. The root of the problem, I think, is that the hotel industry does not have savvy technology buyers. So the hotel industry, whenever they decide that they need to buy a technology, whoever is the economic buyer, which is already a big problem because it could be the asset manager, the owner, the brand, like you already have this uh, hodgepodge of different economic buyers that you have to deal with. They are obsessed with price. Yep. Yep. 100%. And they love to get vendors in these bidding wars and then to take the one that gives them the lowest price. Yep. And I'm yep. like, look, you're not buying a flat screen TV here. You're not buying a commodity where whatever you buy is the same. So you go with price or you go buying like sheets that are a certain track counts and you have the stack and you can pick the lowest price. Mm -hmm. Technology is different. And so the technology vendor has been beat up so much by these bad buyers in the hotel industry that in the end, they don't want to pay money. They want to always get the cheaper price. And, you know, if you beat up vendors to always give you the cheaper price, then you're going to pay a higher price because that vendor is not going to innovate because they can't. Right. Or then when they have you, they're going to nickel and dime you in any way they can because they have to make their margins. We all have investors. We all have boards. We all have to show growth, right? The hotels have to do it, but also the technology vendor has to do it. And so in many cases, I see a lack of wanting to partner with a technology vendor and understand that a negotiation is not about winning on the lowest price, but it's getting the best of both sides together and having long-term partnership that we can all work together. And so I, I blame the technology vendors in this space for, for the, the state of the, of the industry where it is. Yeah, we go, a lot of folks have gone into that zero-sum game of competing on price. So I, I agree with you 100%. We, we've been talking about that same challenge for a while with some of our, our existing partners. So I don't know if you know this, but Fuel and uh, Stay in Touch, the PMS, PMS company, and Flip2 – the advocacy platform, we, uh, about a month or so ago, we conducted a study. We went out and asked a bunch of vendors and hoteliers questions about the decision-making process related to technology. There's some really interesting stuff. We're going to publish a white paper on it for high-tech this year, which is in a few weeks in, in uh, Houston. So I'll be glad to share that with your findings with you at some point because I think you'll you'll find it reinforces a lot of what you're saying related to how how people are discerning what product to select is way too heavy on the price and you know there's a big disconnect between what the vendors think the hotels want and what the hotels actually want so stay tuned exactly. for that exactly and in fact I'm going to bring you another controversial example so as you know Expedia has launched a revenue management solution in-house that they call Red Plus. Yeah, yeah we had them on the show. Yeah. giving it to the hotels for free. Yep. So there you go. If you compete on price, you cannot get better than free. <laughs> yeah. And I actually wrote a blog about it, and I said, as a hotel, do you really want to use the Expedia tool to price your rooms? <laughs> now they know again, all your secrets it's the fox guarding the hen house a little bit right? for sure right but if all you're looking for is price 
then I guess the answer from the buyer would be yes. Yeah. And so the, the hotel buyers need to change, but also need to be educated in what it means to, to buy software and what it means for companies to be able to have the right margins to keep innovating and keep investing and keep fighting the fight for them. Because in the end, if a vendor, if an innovating vendor fails, the hotel industry also suffers. And so yep. I think it's another cultural problem that is widespread in the, in the industry. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, this has been a great conversation. I definitely would love to have you back on the show at some point. We can go down so many different rabbit holes on this. But just to be fair to you and, and you know appreciating your time, if you want to give any kind of shameless plug right now, tell us what's going on at Duetto, what, how you're spending that $80 million of investment and what people can look forward to on the horizon. Uh, so first of all, the whole Vegas office is incredibly stoked about the Stanley Cup and the Golden Knights. I don't know if you guys. <laughs> yeah, we got a few. We got a few hockey fans in the office. I mean, it's a, it's an incredible sports story. So we're fully stoked, and yeah. you know, it's already a miracle that we are where we are. And if anything happens, I don't even know what's going to happen to the city of Vegas. Which <laughs> I've been up for a long time. So that's right now is like kind of number one. Yeah. Uh, on the serious <laughs> side, um, again. We are, we've invested um, a lot of money in R&D, so we doubled the size of our product organization. Um, we almost doubled at this point the size of our engineering organization as well, because as I said, we are moving more and more into a e-commerce strategy platform that can actually help uh, bringing new stuff to the, to the hotel space. So the stuff that I told you about Facebook and Salesforce, for example, before, um, as you know, Facebook had their challenges coming, um, coming into the hotel space because, of course, the connectivities are hard to get. Salesforce has been very successful into other verticals, but in the hotel space it's not commonly used, again, because of the connectivity. And so we are becoming more and more now the bridge of the path to our platform to bring these true tech giants into the hotel space to enable modern e-commerce. That's really what we're focusing right now for the future. Of course, we're still focusing a lot on our core product because innovation never stops. And that's why I told you before that buyers need to understand that companies need margins to innovate. So we're still making our products always better, but... The, the big news for the future is that we want to bring all these e-commerce tech giants um, from other industry into the hotel space so we can finally do the things that retail, financial services, et cetera, are able to do in their, in their industry. And I'm really proud of you, Marco, because you said all the things you've got on the horizon and you did not once mention blockchain or AI <laughs> or VR or AR or all these buzzwords that are out there. You, you kept it tangible, so I appreciate that. We, we, we are looking at those things. I'm you sure know, you are, but you're not leading with that as your conversation starter, right? Because you're, you're focused on what's meaningful to people, not just buzzwords. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can have the best AI in the world, but then if your system is not able to connect the right way with the property management system, then what are you going to do with all the AI, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. So usually towards the, the end of the show, we, we kind of get a little silly and we start talking about our private lives or our hobbies you know pete on the show is a is an apiarist which is a beekeeper uh, melissa likes to run a lot and she, she also um 
she has a, issues when people can't draw pie charts properly. So, on, <laughs> burns my buttons. It does. So tell us, Marco. Tell us something that that the the fans at home might want to know about you outside of duetto. So uh, since I started duetto, I don't have a life. My life is duetto, <laughs> as you can imagine. <laughs> Immediately we have this saying that we say, "You wanted the bicycle, now ride it." Yeah. Uh, and you're never gonna get off on it. So my life is really this. Um, but you know, through duetto, I've been seeing a lot of beautiful places, a lot of beautiful hotels. I'm on the road more than 200 days out of the year, but I wow. really cannot complain yeah. where I go and where I stay because we have amazing clients um, all over the world. So that's, uh, that's great. Um, and the thing that um, I've been very excited and interested, um, especially for Vegas, since at this point I can fancy myself a Vegas resident, is that Vegas always goes to this... Uh, transformations every 10, 15 years. Um, you know, they really started when Steve Wynn uh, built the Mirage in the 1990s and created the modern resort for Vegas. Vegas is really becoming the capital of sports at this point. Um, and, uh, and I'm a big sport guy. I, lo I love doing sports events. And um, the thing that I'm very, that I'm very lucky is that through the way that we've been able to become Sponsors of the Golden Knights very early, which I'm glad we did because now the prices were probably would have been a little too high for us. Um, we also uh, became sponsor of the WNBA team owned by MGM called the Las Vegas Aces. And also we've um, been able to become sponsors and help the Las Vegas Lights, which is a USL soccer team. I've, now I, at least I'm able to watch soccer, although the quality is not amazing compared to Italy. Um, but really like this new sense of uh, community and city that the sports brought into Vegas is really what, um, what makes me very happy right now. And I spend a lot of my time and resources uh, around this. So whenever I'm not 100% into a Dueto meeting or a you know, Dueto sales call or whatever, I'm probably at a sports event with either one of our employees or one of our clients or one of our, one of our uh, prospects. Gotcha. We'll come out and see you soon. And hey, did you? There's uh, something the U.S. soccer and uh, Italian soccer has in common. Ne neither of them are going to be playing in the World Cup this year. That is very true. It's the Sick first time from like I 1958 or something that Italy won't make it to the World Cup. Yeah, so. I remember when that happened to England. Um, forget what it was. It might have been France '98. I forget which one it was, but England did not make it. It was a sad, sad day in that country. And yeah, I'm sure back in in your motherland, it was. Uh, Pretty dark. I think if, if Americans think the media here hit the U.S. national team hard when they didn't qualify, I can only imagine what the Italian papers were saying. That's just, yeah. Yeah, although I have to say that qualifying for the World Cup becomes harder and harder because there is a lot of good teams nowadays. Yeah. I mean, especially in Europe, yeah. Global. I mean, in the United States, um, I forgot the statistics, but I think uh, Major League Baseball, the average age of a fan is in the 50s. Yeah. Versus the average age from an MLS fan is in the late 20s. Yep. Wow. So clearly, I think the soccer has a very bright future for um, in the United States. Yeah, and I, I read a stat recently that said there's more kids playing soccer in the U.S. than any other country in the world. Um, so, yeah. so it has it at the youth level. It's beginning to get it at the professional level. I think um, just needs a little more money in in the game, you know. And, it, it, the the league over here, the MLS, is always going to be a little challenged and handicapped because all the other leagues are open market, you know. So having things like salary caps, having no relegation and promotion like every other league in the world, 
is going to limit the the stars at their prime from coming over here as well. So, but it, it's yeah, heading in a good direction. Their, um, their attendance is going up every year, so yeah, yeah. Who knows? Uh, who knows what's going to happen there? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm wait I'm waiting for the Model Beach uh, Model <laughs> Beach market to get an MLS team. It's the closest one we have right now is Atlanta, I think. So it's it's a little bit of a hike for us. We have an indoor football team, though. Uh, this is true, and we had the baseball team, so we we got some sports. We don't have the hockey, although they were talking about it for a while. Mm. We'll see. Well, Marco, we appreciate being on the show. If someone wants to reach you or or Duetto, um, where can they find you guys on the web? Uh, you can find us in our new URL, which is uh, DuettoCloud.com. Very easy to remember and uh, and type, and also. If you type Duetto in your Google search, we're fairly well um, optimized, so our, our sites will pop up. Yeah, but do, don't forget the SEO is dead, so no one's going to do that anymore. Exactly. That's <laughs> hey, where, where did the name come from? I, ne- I didn't ask you that. Where did Duetto so come from? The name actually comes from a car, which is the Alfa Romeo Duetto, yep. um, which is actually the car feature in the movie The Graduate. Gotcha. Um, because uh, both Patrick and I, at some point in our life, used to drive a version of the Duetto. Now, in Italy, that, when I grew up, was fairly common. For Patrick, growing up in San Diego, that was not common. And um, now, uh, Patrick just actually bought a restored original Duetto that he just bought um, a couple of days ago. That's cool. And I have the newer version of the Duetto, which is the Alfa Romeo 4C Spider in red with a Duetto license plate that I go around Vegas. So uh, that's, high rolling. Um, that's where the name comes from. That's neat. That's really cool. All right. So, uh, Melissa, if they want to find you on the web, where can they find you? I am on Twitter at M.A. Kavanaugh, M-A-K-A-V-A-N-A-G-H. And Jeremy. I'm at jeremyrazook.tumblr.com. You need to get a Twitter that people can see. Yeah, I think that'd be better. Like get a, the marketing, you know, safe for consumption kind of a Twitter yeah. rather than your rants about sports. Or just, I don't really care if you want to share your sport rant Twitter account too. You can do that. That's fine if the if the people will enjoy it. Yeah. Okay, well, you can get the notes to this show at fueltravel.com slash podcast. Click on episode 88. Uh, we'll put a link to the white paper um, that we talk, discussed about driving direct bookings from Marco. And until next time, you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. We do have a lot of visual stuff that, um, yeah, especially with unicorns that that, that we have. But now um, unicorns. I well, we're big fans here of llama corns versus unicorns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So actually, the. Um, the mascot of the soccer team in Vegas is a llama, and they bring two llamas to uh, to the game. Oh, really? You just just put a horn on that bad boy, and you've got a llama corn. Yeah, I know. That's what's on my do next. <laughs> well, speaking of llamas, what do you call a camel with no humps? I don't know. Humphrey. <laughs> that's, that's really bad. I wow. Yeah. Somebody had to say it. Yeah. Mm. I'm glad I know. That that that's going at the end. <laughs>